0: I had the
1: weeks right up there. I not you Let me turn this on a second. And uh, and uh, for hopefully folks uh, at the University of Yershon who may be listening to this, let me date it for you. Today is, uh, I don't know if they just said that, I've forgotten the date. I think it's February 9th. 1994, and um, I'm in Everett, uh, Minnesota, speaking uh, around the dining room table with uh, Mr. Uh, Joseph uh, Begich, who was, who was not only was but still is uh, the brother of former Alaska uh, Congressman Nick Begich, and we were uh, just uh, beginning to talk uh, about uh, the little of a uh, little of the early history of former Congressman Begich, uh, growing up in Minnesota and. Uh, his life before he came to Alaska, and I guess the first thing that we were just uh, trying to figure out, I guess that uh, both of your parents were originally from from uh, Yugoslavia somewhere, um, which I've now learned, since the problems in Yugoslavia, that there's obviously different kinds of places to be from Yugoslavia.
2: The, uh, my father and mother were both of Croatian uh, uh, descent, and they, they both came from Yugoslavia, uh, my father came from Yugoslavia in uh, 1911, and he. Uh, my mother. I don't have that date here, but my mother and my father then was uh, 17 years old. He had a brother here in Virginia, which is the next next town over. When my father arrived, he was going to be an employee of U.S. Steel. His brother was uh, working there, so he just automatically went there and then uh, worked uh, at U.S. Steel and stayed at U.S. Steel for uh, 22 years. Uh, It was the policy and and the program in those days where uh, some people came from Yugoslavia and went back. They would come here to make money and go back and then uh, to buy land. My uh, father's father was here first. And then uh, he was here for two years, and uh, the money he made, he saved and went back to Yugoslavia to buy farmland. Well, then his older brother came and stayed here for three years, and then he went back to uh, Yugoslavia, and my father stayed. And, uh, he never had a feeling to ever go back uh, uh, to Yugoslavia as a uh, to visit or he just, but he did keep contact with. Uh, one or two of the family uh, that were left by uh, mail and greetings and, uh, oh, and Christmas cards and so forth. And that's the way, it, as he passed away, that's the way it was left. My mother came, uh, uh, her uh, father, her father came to uh, the U.S. alone. And after being here for one year and getting established, working for U.S. Steel, uh, she, then my mother and her mother came over. That was the only one that was born in Gustavo. My mother was two years old at the time. And then uh, uh, you, I don't have it here, that When they were married, what's the back of that picture? Nineteen. Oh, <laughs> well, uh, then uh, my father was a single person. It, it was common in those days for families to have borders. And my father was a boarder living at my, what eventually ended up to be my grandmother and grandfather. He was living there, uh, working in a mine and uh, living there. And then uh, uh, my mother, being the oldest of the uh, family, eventually they got married at an early age. I think she was 16, and uh, uh, my father was a little older about 12 years, so... uh, 1920. Yeah, they were married in
1: 1920. Now, was he living up in Virginia then, or was he living all this time down in Neville?
2: Right close to where I pointed out earlier, uh, where the lights were as you came (coughs) over to uh, my home. Uh, About uh, several hundred yards away from the lights was my grandma and then our folks. All of us were... uh, In the family, uh, Nick uh, was the last of them. There was uh, uh, three of us boys and one girl. And uh, two girls had died before we moved them uh, uh, when they were uh, young uh, kids. And uh, Nick was the last, the youngest of the family. Uh, Living now as a sister, the oldest one, and then my uh, brother, uh, next brother, uh, John, he's passed away. And then myself and then Nick. And do you think that,
1: uh, in terms of being the last in the family, that, that that sort of being the being everybody's sort of kid brother, that that sort of uh, led to his how industrious he always was that everybody tells me about? Or do you think,
2: how do you think that well, at, place in the pecking order? Yes, at one time he had the benefits. Uh, for example, uh, my father left the mines and went to uh, be self employed as a uh, dairy farmer and uh, operated uh, uh, dairy, and uh, uh, route house-to-house delivery, and, and uh, <coughs> commercial deliveries. And uh, Nick was the younger one, where they, he was allowed to, to play the basketball at the school. He was allowed to uh, in, get involved in all the school activities, uh, speech, uh, he was uh, a leader in, in the debate team, mm-hmm. and, and those kind of things where I was just a little older, and we had to stay home and, and work on the farm. So uh, that became the little difference between uh, Nick and I. He, he had the privileges of the, the, the extra activities at school where my older brother, John, and I did not. Now, where was the farm? Was it close to town here? Maybe? No, we, had, uh, we ran the... the the cows were milked here and that was you see that huge uh, hill there mm-hmm. with the trees growing mm-hmm. that was uh, evening pasture <laughs> that is now a skipping dump you see that uh, as the mines uh, they evolved they closed that and then the day pasture was on uh, behind us so we had uh, the, this was uh, 166 acres for the evening pasture and uh, the day pasture was 500 acres over here <laughs> so that's where we worked uh Uh, the farm and uh, so Nick being the younger one he got to go and uh, Nick uh, uh, was more interested in school than I was or my older brother John so I suppose my parents thought well at least we're going to have one that's going to do something (laughs) and go on so they kind of pushed and helped him and and, uh, he got to do those things where I graduated from high school and went in the army and uh, when I came back, uh, I didn't wish to take that, uh, I had four years of free college at G.I. right and <clears throat> I wasn't interested in that, I was more interested in industrial or mechanic work and, and that type of work and went to work in the mines. Now did, uh, I mean obviously when he,
1: when he showed this interest, you just said that your folks encouraged him to do all this. Did, did, was it just sort of something innate in him that I mean, someone encouraged yeah. him to,
2: to, to get involved in, in learning stuff, or he was uh, talking to uh, some of his classmates uh, from time to time? He was always uh, aggressive in school and really uh, was interested in that. Uh, what was that? called, Carol? <coughs> the, the team, the debate team, or got mm-hmm. involved With in those forensics or something? Yes, forensics, like right? And he was just he a go-getter and he really uh, enjoyed himself and, and was really aggressive and when he really started to move after he graduated uh, he went on to St. Cloud and uh, did wonders there and was going to St. Cloud and University of Minnesota at the same time and there was a big fight over that issue whether and and well, he was always uh, uh, aggressive uh, and would set a timer he, when he came to visit he had a little clock, and it would say, uh, "I've got ten minutes." And if ten minutes is up, he, he was on his way. He was hustling. <laughs> uh, uh, you know, he was always a hustler. And uh, Carol found someplace. Uh, I kind of remember this when he was small. He couldn't talk for a long time, hmm. and uh, naturally, the parents were concerned, and uh, they went to uh, to take him to a doctor and so forth. And all of a sudden. Uh, uh, he was about four years old when so he took off and started to talk, and he never quit talking for, um, <laughs> until he passed
1: away. <laughs> so, right. well, now, what was it like? I mean, obviously, <clears throat> as kids, you're, you you got to move these cows around and everything else. Uh, what was it like growing up around here in the thirties and forties? I assume it was a lot different from the way it is today.
2: Oh yes, uh, it really, it's hard to explain because most people don't uh, believe how tough those days were. Uh, we were poor, but. But we lived different. We, we had good meals, we had uh, clean clothes, even though they were patched. Nowadays, uh, you know, when people are poor, the uh, government's got to help. Uh, uh, right where this house is and across where my uh, workshop is, uh, was all gardens besides uh, the farm, and this was uh, just for vegetables. The, uh, the people didn't look to government for a handout. They just kind of did it. Uh, you burnt firewood and wood instead of, uh, and you could cut it free. Uh, all of the land around here was owned by U.S. Steel. They were the rulers of the, you know, of, of the whole area and uh, they allowed their employees to cut wood free. But see, Nick got off some of those jobs, uh, cutting the wood in uh, some of the times in the summer, Nick was involved in uh, uh, stacking wood and those kind of chores. But Nick never worked, uh, Nick never milked any cows. Nick never delivered any milk. I and my uh, next brother to me did uh, work with my father. Mm-hmm. Now, speaking of your dad,
1: uh, I'll talk uh, about John Blotnick in a, in a second, but uh, obviously at that time in the 19, particularly in the 1940s, uh, when the Farm Labor Party, was uh getting involved up here and i guess what the the steelworkers union was probably a pretty serious um community group at that time among the people that were working for the company uh was your dad uh, uh as politically uh, as interested in, in political life obviously both nick ended up in politics and you obviously ended up in politics so that's probably not an accident
2: He was uh, very active because my uh, father could speak English, as broken as it was, he could speak English. So naturally, uh, uh, he had worked with the union officers to organize the Christian uh, uh, workers. Uh, When it was time for a mayor's race or a political race, they contacted him because he could talk enough English to to understand and he could read. He could read and uh, he could write. So uh, he became sort of one of the, say, a group leader or whatever. And uh, that's how he got very active. He was very active in uh, organizing the CIO union and working with the union. And then the the political life, uh, they were very, very staunch, uh, hardcore Democrats and uh, would never miss election. Uh, The led marches in town were... at the time, the steel companies would try to run the elections. The U.S. Steel it would try to organize run the elections as for mayor even, and uh, my father would be organizing. They would be marching uh, against those people, uh, and those were the, uh, why they had to organize the union uh, because uh, there was no safety programs. Uh, miners got killed all the way around here. You can uh, Rockefeller as I look out this window. If you look over your right shoulder, where those uh, uh, trees are, those uh, uh, kind of a popple trees, mm-hmm. right there was the Rockefeller mine, the underground mine. In 1916, uh, Rockefeller got a dollar sixty-eight cents a ton of oil royalties out of that mine. And today the taxes are dollar eighty-five. So you can see what Rockefeller did. <coughs> so uh, uh, those people control everything, but yet my father bucked them, and this is one reason why. After 22 years, he left the mines and went uh, Southland Point because of uh, he never was fired because of his union activity, but uh, he uh, was picked on by the foreman and, and the company people. But he did very well uh, with himself as a, a private uh, employer. And then uh, in his later life, after uh, John went in the army and wouldn't take any deferments, when I went to the army. He uh, sold out and went to a small mine over here as uh, as an employee yeah. and stayed there. And we sold out the farming. Yeah, stuff. Too. So he was very active in in, in the political uh, arena for many many years. Mm-hmm. Local elections as councilman and mayor, and then uh, as. Uh, it, now, did he hold elected? Did dad no, hold
1: elected he, elected he never held he
2: elective. He never ran. He. Uh, Behind the scenes,
1: sure. well, now, it's sort of getting far afield, but I've gotten interested enough in the range uh, uh, to ask. And how did how did the the, the difference between I, I know that the farmer former Labor Party and the Democratic Party merged in 1944. Uh, was there a big split up here between the Farmer labor people and the Democrats, or how did all that play out? Because I think it was Blatnick. I think when he was in the state legislature, uh, elected. think He was elected as a as a farmer laborer, not a Democrat. I'm pretty sure. I'm not. I'm not double sure about that. Of course,
2: we still call it. Uh, yeah. yeah. Today it's on a DFL right, Democrat, right. farmer labor party. It was John Blatnick and Hubert Humphrey. Yeah. Hubert Humphrey then was a the mayor of uh, of uh, Minneapolis and. Uh, through this coalition, uh, they uh, put the two parties. Actually, uh, years back, the, the unions were uh, uh, formed, but it was more uh, ruled by the communists. We had, uh, in fact, uh, Gus, the uh, president, uh, uh, what's his, uh, what's uh, Hall. Gus yeah, Hall. Hall right. Gus Hall is Gus Holberg, from about six miles from here. Right. And uh, organized, uh, and the communists were very, very strong men and uh, organized, uh, they start to organize the unions in the mines, but then were blackballed and, and, and fired, and, and the U.S. Steel uh, made it bad for them, and this is why most of those people moved out and became the small dairy farmers, the, the Finnish uh, people. And they moved out of the mines, and many of them at that time went to Russia here hmm. and of course we all know now best Hall uh, ran for president on a communist party for, for many years right. so uh, and then but my father never was involved with that group uh, they were they didn't like uh, for whatever reasons uh, and I uh, know and they the farmer labor people yes or? and then they then they drifted away and then the real farmer labor people came back and then joined the, the Democrats and am I am I right that Blatnick
1: was originally elected before the merger as a as a former labor person, not a Democrat? Yes, yeah,
2: he was elected on the time.
1: Okay. Well, that actually does raise the issue of of John Blatnick. I had uh, there are newspaper articles that we were talking before I turned the tape on. And it's probably for the purposes of this tape worth. With reviewing, I had come there. Are a number of newspaper articles uh, that will be in my files that will be at the university <laughs> where I'm through with this project that you'll see if you check this. That uh, that uh, Nick Baggage, after he was elected to to uh, Congress in 1970, says that uh, the reason that he that he ended up uh, doing that was because uh, of John Blatnick. That he said that Blatnick, who he met when he was about eight years old was the fellow that encouraged him to go to college when obviously nobody else in the family had ever really tried to do that before and that it was Blatnik who had also urged him to think about public service as a a career and I did my math that if uh, Nick was born in 32 and he met Blatnik if he can remember meeting Blatnik when he was 8, that would have been 1940 which was the year that Blatnik was first elected to the state legislature to the to the Minnesota Senate, and so I guess uh, that sort of long-winded uh, preamble is, it leads to the question of uh, of uh, how close a friend. When do you remember your family meeting John Blatnick, and and were was Blatnick and your father uh, were they friends? Was it, is that probably true, or was
2: Nick overstating it a little bit? What no, you uh, uh, I remember John Blatnick coming to the house. Uh, and I remember uh, when we used to have uh, the, <coughs> the Slav Day picnics that uh, John Blotnick always made it a point to uh, contact my father for various things. Uh, again, going back to uh, his contacts with all the Croatian people, there was a Croatian lodge in that was, and my father was president, like, for 35 years of the lodge, and uh, he was a contact, and then they could... Uh, bring John Blotnick into the Lodge and, and say a few words during the campaign seasons. And so, uh, uh, he had stopped at the house uh, many times. Uh, and uh, I'm sure uh, along the line, he uh, he spoke to Nick. Uh, uh, Nick was always, uh, when he was a kid, he always uh, had books and he was always reading books and we were outside playing other games he was he wanted to read and, and so uh, maybe John Blotnick uh, said well was maybe one of his family would <laughs> would continue on to college and uh, encourage him and uh, to continue on his work uh, Nick was a young young guy when he ran a little newspaper it was called that uh, shopper daily reminder, daily reminder. And it was a, a a little shopper that they put ads in and, uh, from the merchants on the main street and he would deliver uh, uh, those around and he had a little business point. I, I must say nick was uh, with you then in school uh probably 10th grade
1: mm-hmm.
2: so uh mm-hmm. that would be uh was, and John Blotnick uh, kept contact uh, very closely with the family over the years and uh, naturally as uh, as uh, I grew up uh, and got involved in politics and we had more contacts, uh, my brother John, the oldest one, uh, never concerned himself with politics. He kept the best of what was going on in the country and followed mine but uh, never really was interested. In, got interested in scouts. He spent all his adulthood working on scout programs and then he got involved in a church in the scouts so that's where the route he went so well i noticed that uh i think nick was a scout master too or something right nick was a, did he make eagle Scout? no I can't
0: remember
1: i
2: think he was very involved in a scout but i don't know if yeah. he was. i think he was like a, a scout assistant scoutmaster or something so, you know, he right. could have been. that could be uh so John Blotnick uh, was a close friend to the family, and uh, many times he called him when he was in town if he didn't get to visit him. So uh, I would say uh, John probably encouraged him to go on. Okay, well, we've we've
1: uh, talked a little bit about what Nick was like uh, <coughs> growing up. I think you said that, um, that uh, I guess you were three or four years older, and so I think you mentioned you had had uh, off in the Army by the time he was, I guess, a, uh, had completed his sophomore year of, of high school. Um, what was he like as a kid? I mean, we've talked about this a little bit. One of the things that everybody who, who is a friend of mine and was a friend of his tells me is that he had sort of an exhausting amount of, of energy, I mean, physical energy, that, that certainly wore them out. <laughs> uh, was that evident uh, early on as well? Was he that? Like kind of a kid, or did that come on later in life? No, no, he was always
2: that way. I can recall uh, he was always uh, very aggressive and always running out of time. He was always in a hurry. Uh, Whatever he did, he was always in a hurry. uh, Nick uh, never swore. He would say uh, "God blasted. (laughs) <laughs> and uh, that was it. that he would go. You know, I mean, he would just go, go, go. You now, how about how about
1: uh, becoming a politician? I I got here an hour or so. i right, telling uh, Carol. I went over to the just uh, had this moment of inspiration as I was sort of checking out uh, Eurow because it was such a sunny day and I had some time to kill. And I drove by the high school and I went ah. I stopped and I went in and I went up to the principal's office and I said, Do you have any old books? around. I'd be curious to see, you know, I told, briefly told them, you know, what I was doing in town, and they said, sure, and they go back in this dusty closet and find all these old yearbooks. And, uh, you know, even in 1950, when he graduated, you know, he was class president, and they said in his little the yearbook thing of, you know, what everybody, they predict for everybody in the class, and they predicted that he was going to be president of the United States and stuff. So, I mean, it looks pretty early on that he, that he was headed, at least he had ambition to be, to seek public office. Do you remember when you first started talking about that? Um, Or was it just more of
2: a natural thing? No, it it was more natural. Uh, uh, He, uh, to to my recollection, never spoke about, uh, during those high school days, uh, or junior high high school days, uh, never uh, spoke about office, but he did run for... uh, he was a president of uh, Future Farmers of America, FFA. Mm-hmm. Those, he was out, but he never had, was mentioning uh, anything about the political, but he was running for those other offices. Uh, uh, you said he was president of the class. Right. During that school time, he was president of that, uh, or either in St. Cloud, I don't recall, but he was president of the Future Farmers of America, and he was a uh, uh, head of the debate team, and uh, so he was always uh, seeking leadership uh, positions. But he never, he never
1: had the, uh, uh, you know, the amazing uh, <laughs> sort of presumption of sitting around the family dinner table saying, someday I'm going to be in the car No, I,
2: I don't recall that, no. Okay, well, great. You see, uh, in those days, too, you, you uh, must remember we did not have the communication that we have today. Uh, today you flip the TV on, if there's a car accident in Russia, you can see it now, uh, where uh, we had a paper, and the radio, uh, there was no television. Uh, so we didn't have a close contact with uh, government, uh, state government, or we hardly knew who our legislators were. Uh, there was kind of a secret. Uh, so, uh, Nick never spoke of Congress then. art uh, the, people kind of felt like when you elected John Blocknick after you, the election, your job was done, John Blocknick would go and he would be the hero for the people. And uh, no one ever questioned him. When he came home uh, for uh, different uh, events, he would make a speech and no matter what he said, everybody would just cheer and clap. Nobody questioned him, why he voted no, or did he vote no, or did he vote, no, did he vote yes. That was uh, sort of a different uh, life than It was divided. Mm-hmm. Well, you just wouldn't
1: see that many, uh, I mean, assuming I hadn't thought about that, but if it's just radio and, and newspapers, I mean, you don't see that many House votes that come up. Well, I mean, it's not, it's not published, I mean, unless you're really looking for it, uh, and unless you affected your life in some way, you... Um, um, that's 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 interesting. Um, one of the things that we were Carol and I were talking about before before you got home was, and, uh, and maybe something to, to talk with Carol about on the record uh, was this business of going to junior college at the same time he was in high school. Because I know you were, I guess, still off in the army at, at
2: that point. Or whatever, were you? She should tell you. She went to uh, junior college with my <coughs> brother John older than me and then nick was in high, sc- high school at the same time but so. taking
0: college courses and he was well, i didn't know that yeah
2: he, he, yeah okay.
0: mm-hmm.
2: well, actually the uh perhaps i
1: should introduce you for the tape too uh, yeah this is uh carolyn yes carolyn uh Begich, who is, uh is uh, has been married to uh, mr Begich for many many years and oh, nice also you. <laughs> and who also uh grew up in Haworth and uh, was going, I guess it was a year ahead of of Nick in high school. Yes. And and, uh, Joe was in the Army. And uh, we were talking about uh, this business, with how the junior college worked in those days and and how Nick got to go to junior college even when he was in high school.
0: Well, because we were in the same building, he would just go from his classes and, of it took so many credits to graduate. We had two diplomas at that time in high school, academic and industrial. Of course, academic was the harder, and Nick took that. So he had enough credits without worrying about going full-time to school. So on the hours that he had free, he took junior college courses. <coughs> well, the superintendent was not real crazy about that, and neither was the dean of the college. But Nick finally talked him into letting him do that. So, by the time he went to St. Cloud, I would say he had a good year of uh, junior college just from his senior year.
1: And uh, you said you were in his political science class? Yes. Then, what was that one? Like?
0: Well, I said I don't know who talked more, Nick or the instructor. But, then, but he seemed interested in politics then, even. Okay. Although they, they say in this autobiography he has that he really, St. Cloud, was the true awakening of Nick's political activity.
1: Well, obviously there were no young Democrats uh, up here in in, in Edward with that I mean, in high school or anything.
0: No, we weren't, we didn't have a young Democrat club or anything like that.
2: We had a Democrat club in Edward, but uh, young people weren't even allowed to speak. If you went, I don't recall ever being allowed to go to one of those. uh, Huh. Conventions, even or meetings, or it was sort of a, you had to be 50 or older to get involved uh, in, in those uh, days of the uh, up here in, in politics. Mm. Do you think it was just because uh, sort of the community being still more traditional that sort of uh, more respect for LPD? Yes, uh, great respect for, uh, for the elders, but also that the youngers didn't live long enough to know what really how this world is should operate and. Uh, I remember when I ran for mayor, uh, I was, uh, the youngest mayor ever elected at that time, and he was 66, and, uh, I was really a young guy to be mayor, where all the mayors were 50 or older, and uh, so, uh, there wasn't any, uh, there was always a strong DFL party here, but Nick never was part of that. That's where he got involved in St. Cloud into, uh. Democrats for, there was an elder guy that was a congressman Nick first started with. He was uh, stuffing envelopes and that kind of work during a campaign. Marshall? I can't remember. From that area. From down the same Yes, Carter. and that's where he got involved. Well, then naturally, uh, uh, then when uh, Humphrey uh, started to run for the United States Senate, uh, uh, Nick being active in that party and organized uh, the young people, uh, he, that's where his contact was. And uh, many speeches he singled Nick out. I'm Humphrey
1: speeches, I right? Well, that was going to be my my uh, next question, actually. What I have uh, the little I have learned, and maybe there's there's more in, in Tom's uh, material there. But that uh, uh, I guess uh, Nick got out of St. Cloud in '52, and then immediately started teaching high school down there. <clears throat> and then in '54 was when Humphrey ran uh, for reelection. He obviously had been elected in 1948, and then had run in '54, and then I had heard that that Nick had been very active in in Humphrey's campaign, and obviously teaching school, he would have had summer vacations to, which would have been perfect in terms of the campaign season to to have some free time. Do you, Do you remember
2: him being involved with the Humphrey campaign? Well, as the full time involved, uh, <clears throat> not as a paid person, but. Uh, he worked uh, with the youth again and uh, and, uh, and mailings and working of that type. And uh, when uh, Humphrey would go to different areas to speak, many times he'd uh, mention uh, Nick as one of the young, bright, uh, upcoming Democrats in, in the party and so
0: You see, Nick organized... Uh, Nick was president of the International Relations Club and the St. Cloud State Democrats. And he brought then-Vice President Alvin Barkley to St. Cloud to speak.
2: Hmm. Hmm.
0: Hmm. I forgot about that too. Does so it mentioned,
2: uh, the, the,
0: the top state politicians at that time were Governor Orville Freeman, uh, let's see, the governor and the lieutenant governor and two other members of the congressional delegation senator hubert h humphrey congressman john blotnick
1: because hmm. oh, i think tom's got freeman wrong i, mean, I think he didn't get elected till 56 right i'm pretty sure freeman
2: got elected 56.
0: i would say that maybe orville Freeman was the lieutenant governor at that time yeah I
2: know. right that's, yeah, that's right because right. i just heard his son make a speech and it wasn't mm. 54. uh his son is running or he's a candidate for governor hmm. uh, yeah. Freeman. Freeman. Right, so Freeman was elected in fifty four. Fifty four governor.
1: governor fifty four. Or... Well, I can, I can look at Yeah, it. lieutenant governor, I think. Huh. huh. Well, that's. Did he? Uh, you know? Did he travel around with Humphrey personally? I mean. Uh...
2: No, I was uh, not in the campaign committee. Right. Uh, he basically stayed in that same area mm-hmm. and uh, did his work in, in mm-hmm. that area. Okay. Well, now the, the other interesting
1: thing about the Humphrey connection is uh, I've also seen from newspaper articles that 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 was the 54 campaign and then in 1955 which would have been really just a couple months later that after the November 54 election that uh, he had been uh, he, Nick, had been elected I guess uh, uh, vice chairman of the the statewide uh, young Democratic farmer over Democrats uh, behind Walter Mondale, um, which was obviously getting up in pretty rarefied air for a 24-year-old <laughs> yeah. guy. I mean, Mondale was only 27, but obviously he was, Mondale by that time was running pretty tight with, with Humphrey, and Humphrey was pretty much running everything, I guess, right? Um, do you remember all, all of that? Was, did he know Mondale at all? Or was Humphrey responsible for helping him
2: uh, up the ladder again, or do you remember any of that stuff? Well, I think he got involved with Mondale uh, through Humphrey. Uh, <coughs> Mondale uh, was a protege of Humphrey, and, and uh, so uh, that's where he got involved with uh, Mondale.
0: But you spoke of Nick always being in a hurry. He even had his roommates register for classes, and then he took those classes.
1: Right, actually, that's in the uh, in in a couple of these news articles that apparently got caught doing this. Uh huh. And
0: because
1: there was, I mean, right. Because I know when I went to college, I got to thinking after I read that that there was some there was a limit, and you couldn't take more like sixteen units a semester.
0: Yeah.
1: uh, Yeah. And he had, uh, and he had done all of that. He had
0: them pencil it in, and then when uh, they went to pay for it, they gave the slip to Nick, he reimbursed them, and wrote his name in pen.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, that actually raised one of, the, one of the, the things I was talking to Carol about in those days. During the St. Cloud years, uh, obviously he's taking, rather than 16 units, he's taking like, um, like say, 25 or 30, and, and I... Um, I pulled his, uh, when I was in Washington, D.C. last week, I went over to the Library of Congress because that's the only place you can find this stuff. And I, you know, he was listed in Who's Who in American Colleges when he graduated. And to find the, you know, the 1952 edition of Who's Who in American Colleges, only the Library of Congress probably still has it. But I looked up his his little, you know, paragraph and all the stuff he was doing. I mean, how on earth? Could you be taking, you know, 25 units a semester and doing all of this stuff? And that raised the question also, in the practical sense, of of how is he living? I mean, was, you know, was he, you mentioned that he was raising turkeys. I mean, well, he a, when he was, was
2: going to St. Cloud,
0: he used to bring eggs home.
2: And he used to have riders. Mm-hmm. The car was full of riders. And then on top he had a carrier on a car. And someplace in St. Cloud he was getting... Uh, eggs from some farm, the cases, then he would bring them here and uh, he had uh, places where he would sell them here and that made extra money uh, selling the eggs and, and uh, the riders in the car. Uh, Paid him. I remember that.
0: Uh, and he also, he lived in a house um, with I think there were eight boys there and he did the books and so he got his rent cheaper but then here, true it says he, he worked two hours in a local cafeteria, he carried 37 credit hours, <laughs> and he went home on weekends.
2: Yeah, I remember him coming on weekends. Yeah. In 1950 was the year, because uh, I was going to Korea then, and he had a uh, project of turkeys. Uh, my father owned land a little ways from here and had one of those big pole barns on. And uh, they raised turkeys there. Yeah. That was a project to make money for college. I think.
0: Mm-hmm. Yes. And they, then he was, you know, the, the dean questioned, did he have any time, you know, for anything other than studying? He was really upset with Nick, and Nick named all the organizations he belonged to. <laughs> then he was in more trouble because you weren't supposed to belong to that many. So actually, Nick spent one more quarter in Saint Cloud as punishment. Carrying this this too much of a load.
1: You're like, in just the summer, we he actually had to go into the next school? I don't year
0: remember that part. Hmm.
1: Well, that's, that's uh, you know, when I look back at my old college school, I'm struck dumb with the idea of what it
2: would, <laughs> <laughs> it would take to do all that stuff, you know? When and he, he would come here, like he would visit my uh, aunt's, he would take that little clock with him.
0: Yeah, he he'd say, "Now it's six thirty. I can stay here till six thirty-two, or I can spend five minutes, and that's it. That was it." We were in Washington,
2: D.C., and was one of those days you had to wear a top coat. It was kind of cool. And he was going out the door, and the coat got caught in the door, and it ripped up the back. And First thing he did was take his coat off and throw it back in the house and say, Geez, we lost 30 seconds. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and uh, I'm, I'm, I'm just there to, uh, on a project to the Hockey Hall of Fame and to visit. And I couldn't understand this 30 <laughs> seconds, you know. So we run in a car and I thought we'd be able to talk on the way down to his office. And here he had his lawyer. Well, I don't know which one. Yeah. Maybe made one? made okay. guy, Martin? In the car. And, uh, in fact, he probably had another guy. Yeah. Uh, the guy from Boston oh, Kennedy. Kennedy and they talked all the way and they were uh, dictating letters and, and uh, in the car and I, I just sat there <laughs> looking out the window wondering what to, nobody talked to me they're all just all business all the way to the office there was no time to do anything it was just rush 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 well you know it's interesting
1: that uh, in terms of of mixed of involvement and what I'm actually you know, working on this this Native Land Claims uh, thing, that the, one of his most valuable uh, contributions was that the chairman. I don't know if you ever knew Wayne Aspinall. Have ever, ever heard of Wayne Aspinall? But he was the he was this old, seventy five year old chairman. Mm-hmm. Had been chairman for twenty years of the of the uh, of the House Interior Committee, and he just loved Nick. And the reason that he loved Nick, among other things, was that Aspinall had been a former school teacher, like, like Nick, and was just that way, that if, if you ever read anything about Aspinall, you know, if he said, you've got five minutes, he meant, you have five minutes. Or if he said, I will talk to you at, you know, 8.30, if you showed up at like
2: 8.32,
1: you were like, done, through, I mean, he was like, never, and you would never get back in his good grade. I mean, he was that kind of a guy, and, and Alaska's former congressman, this Republican his name was Howard Pollock. He was a very affable, pleasant guy, but he was just sort of this sort of easygoing doofus. You know, if he showed up, you know, within twenty minutes of <laughs> of anything, that was fine with Howard. And, and and Aspinall hated Pollock because of that. And he just loved Nick like a son. And, and Aspinall, you know, didn't love anybody except maybe his wife. You know? And but it was it's interesting that now I see that.
2: Uh, you were probably right there on each other's waists without seeing. I know when we were up to Alaska, Anchorage for the memorial service. Uh, the natives was endless, endless line. Uh, <coughs> we were at uh, high school. Wasn't it? Mm-hmm. We had and the we service last the right? and then we stood in line. Uh, Carol was with me. My brother John then was in a wheelchair, and my mother and father
0: and your sister,
2: my sister, and it was. It was always getting too tough for our people to stand in line in endless uh, and the natives, and uh, that was a lot. uh, Many of them mentioned uh, during the times, you know, of of the of the act. No, he. uh, I haven't. um, I haven't
1: cracked the numbers uh, uh, completely yet, but uh, my preliminary view is that uh, it was basically the. The natives that elected him, and in fact, uh, you know, and he and, and, and he understood that as a constituent, you know, aside from the fact that it was helping them out was the right thing to do. That Alaska politics, ever since the oil in the mid 50s, the cities, you know, basically we just have these two cities, Anchorage and Fairbanks, and then there's all these people scattered yeah. around, and, and the cities, ever since the oil, it, it had always been a rock rib Democratic Union kind of politics, and when the oil came, uh, the cities turned increasingly Republican, which is why we have an all-Republican congressional delegation today, and and so it was always from about the mid-1960s on, there were so many Republicans in Anchorage and Fairbanks that it was the natives, that you know, the Democrats had to have that as part of their coalition, and, and he certainly was with them from the very, from the late 60s in terms of their aspirations for their for their land, and, and then when he got elected, he didn't forget him. So. No, nope, he sure didn't. Yeah. Absolutely not. Well, uh, <clears throat> that raises the question of how on earth he got to Alaska, <laughs> <laughs> uh, because uh, you know, certainly having grown up here, uh, you know, by 1955, he's he's the vice president of the statewide Young Democrats with Walter Mondale. He's on he's on uh, Hubert Humphrey's
2: short list of of young. Up and coming guys. How did this come about when uh, he married his student? Yeah. There was a problem then? In the mm. school?
0: No. He, well, while he was dating her while he was a teacher. He was a teacher. And she was a student. Yes. And it, it, at that time it was not looked out okay, he, he didn't
2: he marry her. He already... Uh, okay, yeah. Okay.
0: He kind of kept his nightlife a secret for a long time. Well, remember, we didn't know. No. No. And he he bought that trailer, and he came home for Christmas, and he had all these pictures around, and nobody questioned (laughs) except you. And you (laughs) said, well, who's this girl? And he said, well, it was his girlfriend, but he didn't say, you know, he didn't. We
2: never knew him to have a girlfriend.
0: Well, we met that one girl.
2: Did he take girls out in high school?
0: Sure he did. Sure, remember, he brought that one girl to our apartment in Minneapolis.
2: Oh, yeah, but that was that. Oh, yeah, that's yeah. That mm-hmm. was in 1951. <laughs> Are you thinking, how on earth could you have time for girls if you're so yeah, doing all the service? that's why. I remember that <laughs> girl.
0: Oh, yeah, he dated. He went to all the proms in high school. Oh, yes. So you were gone. Nick was very popular with the girls.
2: <laughs>
0: I remember that.
2: She asked the part that I missed. I was away in. When I came back, Nick already was uh, married.
0: No, 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 no. No, no.
2: No? No. Well, how was that as many? Yeah. <laughs> I remember...
0: I you had were a, the best man.
2: Yeah, uh, but I remember this. Uh, there was one part of the family that wouldn't have any drinks. Yeah. And I had taken homemade uh, wine, and I was carrying that gallon around with my finger trying to get all these people to yeah. take a drink. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> but I, did, what was it? Uh, I think Carol said, so you said that he, he came home, I guess, the Christmas before.
0: Okay.
1: He uh,
2: bought a, purchased a big house trailer and moved and had a three-quarter ton truck and took the trailer up to live in mm-hmm. that uh, trailer. Mm-hmm. Well, he was...
0: Then he came home for Christmas. Yes. And he was kind of hinting about this girlfriend he had in St. Paul because he went, then he went to St. Paul. remember? Well, then, when did he tell us he was getting married? Well, it was a shock, but when did he tell us he was getting
2: married? I can't recall those days.
0: Well, we were living in town then. I don't, I don't remember exactly, but I know that that your mother and father were shocked. Because he didn't talk anything about getting married.
1: Well, but, but what about... I guess in terms of the timing, I think you say in... You mentioned that in Tom's paper that he went up to Alaska in like June of 56. So he must... Either
0: 55 or 56 he went to Alaska.
2: Tom was uh, 56. If he says 56, it was summer time because I remember the uh, trailer uh, parked uh, at my folks' home outside and it was grass, so it was mid- midsummer. Right.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, mean, plus, he would have had to. Have, I mean, he wouldn't have left the St. Cloud High School in a lurch. He would have had to finish.
2: the uh, no, so whole year. Sure, he finished his term and uh, and then left.
0: Because in the fall of 1954, Peggy was a junior at St. Claude Tech. Right. So that means in 55, she would have been a senior and graduated.
1: She would have graduated in June of 56.
0: Yeah.
1: So if he came, if he left the summer of 56, and I think he said he came back and they got married in like December of 56, was that? Yes. But that still raises the question of why he picked uh, I mean, hey, why would why would he leave? I mean, obviously, even if, if there was this sort of problem of, of dating a student, Minnesota's a big enough Well, oh, yeah, state, I mean, you could have moved Well, uh, I mean, why Alaska? He almost
2: became the principal in Edlis hmm. Probably had he became the principal in Edwards he never would have, uh, he would have stayed uh, he, uh, he probably never would have made uh, you know, the history that he did by going to Alaska and then Mm -hmm. on to Washington because it was a one vote short on a school board and uh, for the principal of the high school. Uh, And uh, then it wasn't long after that he went to Alaska. And as I said earlier, he went to Alaska on uh, some arrangement through Hubert Humphrey uh, on a federal uh, uh, labor relations uh, project. And, uh, he told me uh, later on that it was a dead-end job. Uh, you'd be brain dead in, in you know, two years. You would, you, there was not enough activity, so he went back into the school system.
0: See, he says here in uh, Tommy's paper that He decided to go to Alaska, and that's when he and Peggy were engaged, but he kept it a secret from his parents because your mother and dad were displeased with his decision to quit what they saw a good job in St. Cloud and to move to, of all places,
2: Alaska. Yeah, well, naturally. I (laughs) mean, you know, you're going back uh, quite a few years. Anchorage isn't
1: Mm -hmm. what Anchorage was when we were there, Uh, uh, you know... uh, Sure. I mean, 56 when he got there, oil had just been dis- discovered there close to Anchorage. There were probably only um,
2: 56 or five, but there were uh, thirteen thousand people. In I also recall when Nick was in Washington, I was there. There was some work being done on the oil pipeline. <coughs> right. Well, see, that's why And right. Nick was fighting an environmental issue uh, of uh, some, I don't mean, I know it had to do with the environment, and uh, he was uh, being opposed by some uh, big-time uh, lobbyists and uh, oil people. And uh, I remember Nick that one day being very upset uh, and uh, said that they weren't going to uh, just destroy Alaska to get the oil out. I remember that. Uh, but I don't recall the, the, the real issues of, of the time. Right. Well, actually, what was interesting. Um,
1: one of the reasons, in addition to the fact that it was the right thing to do to help clear up this problem about what land the, the native people owned was that uh, this confusion about who owned what land applied to all of the land that was along the route for the, for the pipeline. So the oil companies uh, that was one of the reasons they got sort of the religion about helping the natives out as well is because until they, they got rid of the natives and settled this mess about who owned what land they didn't have clear title all the way down Hugo Bay to get <coughs> to start building the pipeline. So that was, and in fact, uh, the next big after land, you know, Nick settled land claims in seventy one, and then in seventy three, after his death, was when Congress then had to address the whole pipeline issue um, for the oil companies. But it, but they couldn't do that until they first finished the the situation with the natives. Did. Uh, the one thing I was, I was going to ask, uh, I was thinking about a second ago, when you were talking about, about his going to Alaska, and Hubert Humphrey did, uh, I had heard uh, Guy Martin, this, this lawyer who had been a young lawyer working for him, had uh, when we were having dinner last week, uh, told me that he thought that he recalled that Nick um, told him once that Humphrey had suggested that he go up to Alaska because there might be more political opportunity up there.
2: That's the. Uh, do I you don't recall that, but that could be part of it. Uh, uh, and uh, this way, uh, when having a job before he uh, got uh, there, at least you know he had uh, established himself, and then from there on he could. Uh, uh, that I don't know uh, of those, uh, but because uh, I wasn't uh, there at the time to you know to, to hear any of this, but I would suspect that that was part of it.
0: He left for Alaska on June
1: 23rd, 1956. Okay, that would have been right after school, I got out that yeah.
0: Yeah. And then he came back uh, in 57, and they were married December 29th. So, that, so that's about right, because they were married the same day as we
2: were. I was just going to say, December 29th?
0: Yeah, they picked the same day as ours.
2: Well, you guys were between Christmas and New Year's, it was yeah.
1: really uh,
0: Terrible time.
1: <laughs> uh, now did, uh, uh, do you recall, I know that he first, uh, well, and actually the other interesting thing about that, if he came up to work on this dead end job with the labor department, that, that uh, I know that his uh, first job was in the school system, was being a high school counselor out of, at the high school where they had the memorial service for him later. And a good friend of mine uh, was one of his, one of his charges. I don't think he really <laughs> put him on the, the right path to life, or at least at least Michael didn't obey all of his instructions. But but that was 1956-57, So he must have not lasted. I mean, he must have had a, had enough of that Department of Labor job within literally weeks in order to have gotten a job by the by the school year. Up there. Uh, As I recall, uh, there was.
2: He and another person in the office, and when he got there, the other person kind of disappeared, and uh, either one of them had nothing to do. And I sensed then that he he wanted out immediately. This wasn't a place for, and I couldn't see him sitting that long every day doing nothing <laughs> uh, without moving very quickly. So.
1: Now, did, uh, once he went up there, were, how close a contact did he stay with, with you folks and, and your and your parents and all that? He mm-hmm.
2: came at least once a year.
0: They, from Alaska? Oh yeah, Olya, they drove.
2: They drove at least once a year. Was, uh,
0: he was working on his PhD in North Dakota. And they would come and stay here. Hi. Doing, What's up? Oh, not too much.
1: Uh, I think where we were was. I uh, think I was. I was just going to ask is uh, we've gotten uh, Nick up to Alaska and and he got up in '56 and he the first time he ran for anything up there was at least as near as I can figure out was uh, uh, 1960. He ran for the state senate and lost, and then in 19. 19- sixty two, I believe, ran for the state senate and was no, I'm sorry, I bet where, that right. Yeah. 1963 here
0: and
1: Yeah, and was elected think, in sixty two. Yeah, that's right. Ran in sixty, lost uh, the Republic I'm sorry, lost the Democratic nomination to a woman named Irene Ryan and who was the incumbent, who had gotten herself in trouble with labor actually and then uh, in 62 was elected. And so I guess um, my question was going to be, do you remember on any of his trips when he came home during that era of, of telling people that he was going to be running for office and what he was trying to do? Um, was he headed for Congress at that point, or
2: was he just trying to get involved with state politics? Or no, he was, uh, at that time, he was uh, just getting involved in state politics. And uh, it was maybe the third term. I think he was elected four times. Uh, for the Senate? <coughs> so you're, you're in for four year
1: term. So he was elected in 60. He was elected to the Senate in 62, and then he was re elected in 66. Six. And then he ran for Congress and against, lost. And lost against the fellow I was telling you yes. about. And
2: uh, then uh, Paula. The next time around, <coughs> he. Uh, He ran and and won.
1: Right. And and the reason for that, actually Pollock, particularly with how Republican the state had gone, uh, Pollock, I I mean, who who would ever know, but I don't think he could have beat Pollock. But Pollock happily uh, sort of overreached and decided to run for governor in 70s. So he left that seat open. And since Nick had, had set up his organization the, the election before, he was really...
2: Because uh, the week that he went down with Hale Boggs was Majority Leader, uh, the following week or, uh, or maybe the following uh, other week would be uh, Kennedy was going to come up there. Mm-hmm. Uh, At that time, Nick had his sights on the United States Senate, and uh, the polls then were favorable to 70 percent that he would win but he was trying to build that up and uh this is why he was traveling with boggs and those people to build this up so uh the senator was uh, uh fairly old at the time and uh they were he was either going to step down well no actually or he was going to uh, take uh, take them on uh, as you know and run against him Right, no, actually, the that's an interesting
1: story I was telling, uh, at least what I know about it. Uh, Carol and I were chatting about it before you got home, that uh, the old senator was Ernest Greening. You may remember Ernest. <coughs> and there was a, a fellow uh, whose name was Mike Gravel. And Mike Gravel, he was about Nick age. I guess um, Nick was a couple years older than Gravel. And uh, Gravel had beat... Greening in 1968, in the Democratic primary, and had been elected to the Senate. And so Gravel was up for re-election in 1974. Now Gravel, uh, he was an amazing character in many ways. It is amazing that someone can be elected all the way to the United States Senate with having so many people, including people in your own party, who hate your guts. I mean, Mike was just one of those people that just... Uh, he just, uh, I sort of like him because he's such a scoundrel, but he's, he's just, uh, he does not, one of the things about Nick, and maybe that's sort of a long-winded way to get back to it, is that everybody who knew Nick told me that, that Nick had all these people up in Alaska who were incredibly personally loyal to him, that really believed in him personally as a human being, and there was nobody. Who believed ever in Mike Gravel personally? You wouldn't follow Mike Gravel to go get your your uh, car full of gasoline at the corner the store, and he was so disliked that uh, the story that I that the Gravel told me was that I don't know if you remember Jack Brooks, but he was a congressman, so he was sort of like a platonic kind of character from Texas, who was one of Lyndon Johnson's lieutenants and who was a big committee chairman by by the early seventies and. Gravel told me uh, last summer that uh, that Brooks, who hated Gravel like everybody else, who, you know, Brooks was a Democrat. had come up to to um, to Gravel the summer after the, the plane had gone down and said, you know, you are really lucky because um, if that plane had not gone down, it, you know, the fix was in. We were all Nick was was coming for you. He was going to take you on in the 1974 Democratic primary, and he was doing this with basically the blessing of sort of the national Democratic Party, because of how much everybody (laughs) dislikes you. And uh, and that's just what I was speculating, that if Nick had been elected to the Senate in 74, and we had had 20 years of Nick Begich and Ted Stevens as Alaska Senators, uh, what that would have done for Alaska history, that's a lot different from what happened. But I guess, having, did, I mean, did he say that, I mean, was, was it pretty clear that he want, he had his eyes on the Senate,
2: in terms of how he talked? To him? Yes, yes. And uh, I recall that uh, quite clearly, that uh, that's what they were, to build up the uh, constituency to, uh, so the next time it'd be that much easier. And... Mm-hmm. To bring in those type of people, the majority leader and, and uh, <clears> at <throat> that time, Kennedy was at the, at the peak of, you know, his probably... Because he was ripped yeah. in this Yeah, and uh, to show the uh, influence, you know, you always do that. Uh, even in the state politics, uh, the speaker goes to all these uh, fundraisers for the new... Uh, uh, candidates that are going to take on some uh, long-term Republican, and the Speaker goes, and the Majority Leader goes, and, and they bring, I was a full Chairman of uh, Labor and uh, Management, and they use us on their names, on the cards, and you go there to show the influence, that uh, he's not even elected enough, he's got all these big people coming in, that's the name of the game, Is the way you uh, to show your constituents that uh, you have connections, so when you go to Washington or St. Paul, you're going to have people that are you going to be able to talk to and uh, and help the area is what the, is the bottom line is you know it's. He
0: he was he ran for the U.S. House in 1968 and was defeated. Yeah right, yeah by Colin right mm-hmm.
2: yeah. yeah right right. Um, <coughs> uh,
1: well, the other thing, uh, did he ever mention? Uh, you mentioned you were back visiting him from on this hockey thing. Did he ever mention how he felt about this Alaska native? Uh, land problem that was so important during. His they were all worked
2: up over that. Uh, uh, wherever uh, he was, and, and Gene and, and Kennedy and, and uh, now, uh, then Martin, name comes back. That's all they talked about. That was the issue of uh, They were all worked up over that. And they were, and I didn't personally understand it
0: at that time.
2: At that time. And had we did that in Minnesota, with our Indians, we wouldn't have the problem we're having right now in Minnesota with these gambling uh-huh. casinos and all this. The big, you came through Hinkley, yeah. big time. Yeah, yeah, I drove past. Is that an
1: Indian casino? Yeah, big in time,
2: big time, big time.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Well, there's one in Poké, too. That's
0: the one he drove past. You can't see the one in
1: uh,
2: Hinkley. is, uh, when you oh. came through Hinkley, you remember Hinkley, uh, about halfway? <clears throat> restaurants and Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. And Big, big, and right, big, right. big time right. gambling there. Big, Sounds beautiful. The, um, Taylor Courts, Lumo Hotel, I mean big time. So it's like going to Nevada? Oh yeah, mm-hmm. it's big, big time. Mm-hmm. Big, two, three bars, uh, I mean it's first class.
0: We have one right here. Up we here. got one right. up here.
2: We have one in downtown in Duluth and we have one in Cloquet that you missed. Hmm. Yeah. But, not a uh, penny of property taxes. Not uh, any taxes at all. Uh, it's yes the employees uh, are paying income tax but the property taxes and none of those kind of no income taxes for the company or the casino so had we passed the law then and and gave them all the bought their rights out and gave them their uh, right now they would be paying uh, taxes on those uh, properties like anybody else would and that's uh, we should have done that now, there uh, in Minnesota is going to be a huge court case over at Big Lake, Mille Lacs. That's close to the metro area. Thousands, well, uh, at this time of the year there'll be 5,000 uh, dark houses, on, ice fishing houses, yes. on the winter. And uh, the Indians claim, are claiming uh, almost half the lake. So it's going to go to court, and I'm sure the Indians will win. So, see, if we had talked over, uh, paid them for the land values and we followed the Alaskan bill and, and uh, but I never got involved in that I was uh, I I never did complete the things I really wanted to do but uh, I was involved in all the labor issues and they were and it was they were endless because uh, the Republicans were trying to beat us always and I n- never got to the insurance companies it's it's blood what they're doing to our people but there's nothing uh, their lobbyists call the shots. Uh, they control the legislature. But we could have broke them if we, if we spent more time on it. Uh, so, I... but, uh, And the Indians here, the natives, were always my friends and uh, never uh, uh, posed me on any issues, so uh, I never really got involved. But I can see now, had we settled that, uh, it would have been better off.
1: Right. Well, one of the good things, as it turned out, uh, you know, one of the good things about the Alaska situation was because it didn't get settled for so many, you know, I mean, most of the basic decisions about what was, what would happen with Indians, you know, in Minnesota and, and the Dakotas and all the rest of it, all of those decisions were made really in the 19th century about what land they would own and how it would be set up, which is how you've got these, these casinos and all this stuff. And nobody ever, you know, if they had settled the Alaska thing back then, they would have done it exactly the same way that that they did it here in Minnesota. And it was just because of nobody, you know, there weren't enough white people up there really to make it worth everybody's political pain to go through it. And so by the time you got to it, when Nick was in Congress, you could take a different approach. Uh, only because it was happening so late, yeah. Really, in American history, now. yeah. And to that extent, Alaska has really gotten—you're right—has gotten, you're right, has gotten a, a break because the, the Native community has been much more um, integrated, you know, in a political and economic sense into the into the economy and the politics of the state. Did the Indians vote up here, by the way? Yes. Do they? Yes. Because mm-hmm. I know in South Dakota, you wait, know, vote they
2: America, uh, do they? <clears throat> yes they vote uh, i would say 99.9 percent democrats oh. uh, we mm-hmm. have no problem with them uh, supporting our party that's the way it's always been in Alaska. last yeah. time, too. <laughs> well um i
1: think in terms of my list of questions i think oh i think the other thing would probably be worth uh getting on the tape just for for uh, future references i think i had asked uh uh, something about how Nick had missed the Korean War, and I think Carol told me that he he busted his leg playing baseball. Was very it? bad,
2: and at the end of school, uh, must have been uh, what they call American Legion ball. It was summer ball,
0: mm-hmm.
2: and he broke his leg, and it never was right. It had a really a bad, bad bowl to it. Is it like in high school or something? Yeah. Yes, it would be uh, during a, uh, the Legion. Always stays in the summer. Eh? It was. It was for a school program through the recreation. I
0: think it was the summer uh, that he graduated. Either summer he graduated, or but he was the same body, He had crutches. Yeah. Right? yeah.
2: And uh, his uh, foot, uh, leg was never set properly. In fact, he was talking at one time. Lately, he was going to have it. They were going to redo it.
0: Yeah, but he didn't have time. <laughs>
2: Hello. All right. He uh, was going to have it redone. And, here. and that's why... Uh, here to to you, we'll uh, that's why he... Uh, I don't know if he had a status of... Uh, at that time it was 4F or uh, what. I don't recall. Unless it could have been 2 because he was in school. I, was, I, was, I got to thinking about it after I
1: wrote you that I think didn't yeah. teachers pretty much... Uh, have the students. student period all right, student period you were exempt mm-hmm. all right but then after you after he was teaching school because I think uh, Meyer was sort of Vietnam and I remember that, you mean, you that at least to until tell about halfway through the Vietnam War if you were teaching school you were deferred
2: well but the white thing would have I don't ever recall that he was drafted or anything to do with that he never was called right Nick. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. I don't know. I think uh, they knew, some way they knew. So was, he, uh, was
2: he, was he uh, uh, classified as a 4F? That's what they called him then. Yeah. So he
0: was classified as not able to go. I know
2: yeah, that. Would be, then yeah. That would be it. No, I didn't. know it was real bad. It, it it was really bold. He was going to have it redone, broken over, and reset by somebody. He never had the time. He was going to <laughs> college over here in Decorus.
0: Yeah, and he was going to do it then. And when he'd get real tired, he'd have to use a cane. Well, you have the cane.
2: I have the cane, yeah. Him.
0: And he said, well, maybe once I get into Congress. Well, then, you know, it just... Yeah. And some days it didn't bother him, but boy, when he went, you know, everything. he
2: started to limp after. Yeah,
0: bad. Yeah. It was getting worse. I think eventually in his life, See, he would have had. It to was
2: affecting been. his uh, knee, knee too, because yes. or his leg was so bold that he was putting weight on different ways. And
0: there's the other spelling of yeah. HXL. check. Oh. So,
2: so uh, get
0: results with that. Here's your first page. There.
1: I'm sure. Okay.
2: Great. Now, before
1: he had that accident, she was
2: he a pretty good athlete. I know she played in all. He played, all- he sports played, sports played basketball. basketball. He did very well in basketball. I know because mm-hmm. I remember my mother writing to me when I was in army that you know he was a pretty good basketball player, and he played baseball, and he played hockey. But he was the only goalie to play without uh, without skates. <laughs> he played goalie with uh, some type of a shoe.
1: Huh? I didn't realize. That's not against the rules? I mean, there's no hockey
2: Well, uh, he,
0: he didn't play in high school. He played one of those... He played
2: for one of those city teams. Yeah. But he played Bowie without skates. Uh-huh. Uh, <laughs> yet he skated, because I uh, remember when we were kids he skated. Uh,
1: well, that, uh, that sort of has exhausted, uh, I think, my list of questions. Uh, one of them, uh, I think, unless there's something there that I have I've forgotten,
0: You must have found someplace in your um, research where he had to give up his job as superintendent of school. Yeah, that
1: actually okay. when the, the Republicans did that to him, when, mm-hmm. when it looked like he was he was uh,
0: going to be an up and coming Democrat. Right.
1: Which yeah. Somebody, mm-hmm. some some smart guy yeah. figured that uh, figured that one out, and then forced him to choose between. Yep. Yeah. Between uh, teachers. Oh, I
0: remember, uh, remember how upset your mother and dad were when he gave up that superintendent's job?
2: Yeah.
0: Oh, they just thought he was well, crazy.
2: You see, uh, our parents thought so highly of, of school that it was a whole goal to, to, to make sure we all went to college. Uh, like I said, I didn't like it. I ended up doing very well. Uh, I worked in the mines and uh, I only worked uh, a year or so and I became a foreman and then shift foreman and then general foreman and th- spent uh, 30 years in the mine and 29 years as a supervisor. So I made, made as much money as anyone going to college or more. It, uh, had a lot of college people working for me, uh, so. You were in management. And, yes, mm-hmm.
0: uh, yeah. yeah but you Never gone to, to, the- the to the union. You took a lot. You took, uh, they they brought in professors from Purdue. Oh, yeah, I had
2: a lot of courses, management courses. But if you were to put them together, that college we have in the cities, uh. Metropolitan uh, State. uh, Metropolitan State, I would have graduated four times from there. (laughs) Uh, But I didn't, you know. uh, So I was interested in that line. Well, now, I guess uh,
1: the last thing... uh, Particularly, not so much because of, of I've uh, you know gotten much more uh, Nick Baggage material than I can possibly use for, for for my project. But I think it's one of the reasons I wanted to do this uh, is because I think it's important if all the stuff's going to go up to the university, uh, you know, for people to listen to you know ten years from now. Uh, do you think there's anything
2: about Nick that that we haven't talked about that you think? Well, one thing, uh, I think if Nick had uh, continued to live and got elected to the Senate, I think that one of those uh, candidates running for president, Nick would have been a vice president. Because uh, it's like anything else. Those that are very active... Now, you can go to Congress and and be a nothing and do nothing, but if you go to Congress and you excel just a little bit, all of a sudden you become uh, closer to the speaker and then to this... And all of a sudden comes the election, uh, he could have ended up as a vice president of, of this uh, uh, country. And uh, I think that, personally, because uh, watching, I, I served 18 years in legislature and I would watch a new guy come, and uh, he'd fall into the same circle of the guy has been there for 20 years. He'd kind of cross his hands and wait for the lobbyists to take him out for dinner. But then you see a new guy come in, Jim, uh, uh, Carroll, you know, that last... Kid that came in, that
0: Farrell, a young
2: attorney, they Go, go, hustle, and uh, <laughs> I started to use him so much because uh, he was so good. And nights uh, after work, he'd be doing work for me as a lawyer, but through the labor committee. Yeah. You know, I, I figured to myself, boy, uh, if I was had a governor candidate, I'd put him there. And that's how those aggressive ones move on. And uh, Nick was that type. Uh, he wasn't long. He knew Carl Albertson so uh, he got to know uh, uh, the speaker, uh, the, the <coughs> one I just retired. Uh, he, he was aggressive, yeah, Tip O'Neill. Right. Tip O'Neill. He was aggressive. He was involved in that Tip O'Neill uh, deal. Uh, he was very aggressive. Uh, you know, those, those are people that move ahead. It'd actually, interested to know. I mean, that's you know, as as Woody Allen
1: has said quite correctly, in my view, you know, eighty percent of life is showing up. You know, I mean, that's <laughs> so
2: few people. Right. Actually, bother to show up. You go story. to uh, Lions meeting tonight, and uh, and if you show up every meeting, you're going to be the right. president. Right. Right? And, and especially if you speak up a couple of times, you're going to be the president. Uh, and that's how Nick was. Nick was uh, uh, the guy that continued to hustle and move. And, and uh...
0: well, just like they they talked about that, and you know, as I'm reading this time, remembering these things, he he lived in a in this house. This woman was a widow, and he convinced her to rent to the boys. They were all rangers. And that, she was a Republican. But she, remember, member, and she got to be, Nick got to be her favorite. So the boys were talking, and here, how he got it, you know, their, part of their rent was, you know, something was wrong in the house, they took care of it, but Nick, always was the one that took care of the books or took Maggie shopping or something. And he always cooked on Friday nights because nobody was there, everybody
2: went home.
1: <laughs> well, yeah, that's, that's one of the other things, by the way, that that, uh, that uh, someone mentioned to me that they they found quite unusual about him, was that um, he seemed to be somebody that, that older people wanted to mentor. I mean, that's, and he had this talent, a number of people told me this, you know, it wasn't like sucking up, right? I don't mean in a pejorative way, but it was It was like, um, you know, older people that could help him along, you know, whether it was Tip O'Neill or Carl Albert or whether it was people in the Alaska legislature wanted to, you know, I mean, he just had some thing about, you know, like this business with Aspinall I was telling you about, you know, that he really wanted to... To do this thing for the natives because he wanted to make Nick a success on this. You know, he wanted yeah. to help him, and he just sort of attracted older, um, you know, sort of more experienced people. Well, was, I can mean, see that. Where
2: well, that would be, uh, yes, and I could see that how that would be true even for mine. I was a chairman. Mm-hmm. And, uh, this new uh, freshman came on, Jim Farrell, and such aggressive guy, and, and he kind of, yeah. I kind of liked him. And I made sure I got him decent appointments and uh, spoke to the speaker about this. And, and uh, yes, I could see if your uh, elder person likes the younger person, you can really move quickly. And that's what Nick, because uh, Nick uh, respected elders.
0: Yeah, and before he Nick a, went to St. Cloud, they've always had a group called the Rangers because there were many, well, I would say one-third of St. Cloud was Iron Range students. Mm-hmm. The The Rangers Club was primarily a party club, but it got to be political. I mean, they were the, politi- so like a yeah, they were the political stronghold of the St. Cloud <clears throat> campus. In fact, it got so that they were involved that he had everybody uh, going out with literature for state candidates. In, in the
2: legislature uh, for uh... 16 years, Dave Battaglia. I never knew went to college with Nick. Hmm. And uh, he would tell me all these things about the car and the chicken. And, uh, <laughs> all this. And Dave said, he don't know how he got involved, but he was stuffing envelopes for some, he doesn't even know who, remember who he was doing it for, but for some campaign, Nick got him to to uh, work on this campaign. So he was, uh, of course, uh, very
1: aggressive all his life. Yeah, know one of the other interesting things that, that speaking of your your theory about uh, <clears throat> about vice president, I've never gone that far just because small state guys usually don't, you know, are, are always ultimately hit the hit the wall because they're from small states. But I always sort of saw him since I've been playing with this. If he'd run against Gravel and won in seventy fourth, the Senate probably, certainly being majority you know, being George Mitchell today. Well, look at uh,
2: uh, President. Pitt. Well, that's true. He came from what the, uh, what's that, uh, said I he uh, was smaller than Walmart. <laughs> what's his name? The, the, the guy? Pearl. Pearl said Pearl. he was sm- smaller than the CEO of uh, Walmart. Uh, that's true. I watched our governor, Perpich, uh, served the, from here, right here, uh, a creation just like we are, and served in Minnesota uh, longer than any governor in the history of the state, and... Uh, uh, he was another one. Go, go, go. <clears throat> Five
0: minutes and... I mean, eight, like so heck, eight, he could sleep ten minutes
2: yeah.
0: and feel as good as you would if you slept all night. Yeah,
1: there was difference about them people. Yeah, it's just something in the... I, I understand it like Bob Hope is that way, the reason that he's like in his 90s so vigorous, he's one of those people that can, that can sit down and go to sleep for 20 minutes in an airplane and actually go to sleep the way you and I would go to sleep in our bed and then come out yeah. in an hour and there's mm-hmm. some
2: people that have that makeup in there. Mm-hmm. And Donner, Perpich, in Purpich say about this time of the day if he had a a piece of apple pie or a, and, a, and a glass of milk or, or chocolate four more hours he had it right on. Hmm. He was gone just like if you gave him a, a shot of something. Hmm. And right till 10 o'clock never stop. slowed down or anything. Hmm. And on the airplane he goes off Sleep 10 minutes, wake up, just like a new guy, ready to go.
0: Yeah, and then if you traveled with him, oh. he's up and down mm-hmm. that aisle poking you steady. Six
2: o'clock in the morning is a breakfast meeting. We're in San Francisco. Five o'clock, somebody's pounding out of there. Who's there? there? Rudy, Rudy, what do you want? Don't forget the six o'clock meeting. <laughs> it's only five o'clock, get the hell out of here. You know. Oh, then 10 o'clock at night, you gotta have a meeting to see how that we did during the day where we screwed up or what, you know, and then I came home from San Francisco in three days. I never saw the one.
0: Yeah.
2: Everyone goes, we saw nothing. The hotel, potlatch, the hotel and potlatch. We had
0: to go back so he could see it. So
2: I went back so he could see it. <laughs> Can't lie to you. So he was really something. Rudy was another Nick. Go, go, go. He but was,
0: you know, it's funny. When when a Nick's plane went down and we used to talk, a lot about where he could be, or I think his mother never really believed he was dead because she did not see a body. No,
2: and she would never leave home hardly uh, because if she always thought call. somebody would call. And I would mm-hmm. say, "Ma, somebody's going." To, if they call, no, there's no answer. That important issue. They'll find us.
0: So then we would talk, and she'd say to me, "Well, do you think that maybe he was always in such a hurry because he knew his life was going to be short?" Well,
1: maybe. You know, except that there are obviously lots of people,
2: just like the governor, who were in that kind of a hurry. And yeah. Lives. That search was all run through by John Blotnick, was uh, coordinating his office. Uh, our contacts there, he had people in his office uh, and <coughs> all of our contacts. When we flew the family up, it was uh, John who made all the arrangements for the airplanes. Uh, uh, and uh, when we left, the mayor... F. St. Paul and Governor Anderson uh, were there to see us off, and uh, it was all uh, John Blodnick and arranged uh, on both ends. You know everything. Yeah, I, you know, as I said, that was a couple
1: of years before my time. But I understand from talking to people that uh, I guess the conventional wisdom is probably they might have gone down over water, which is why I, yeah. they couldn't pick them off the glacier because they must have. They gone down in the glacier. They might have. These people would have found. Uh, you know some evidence of the, of
2: the so What's the girl on the ABC?
0: Cookie Roberts.
2: Cookie Roberts is mm-hmm. the daughter and wife of, of our child. Yeah. Yeah. I was surprised that since she was fifty-one or fifty, she just had a birthday here. Yeah, I
0: can't remember what it was. I
2: thought I thought she was a little little girl. She wasn't though. She well no, she's fifty. That's uh. The, 22 years ago, she was a big girl. Yeah. Now there's a, you think they had a granddaughter up there? There was one little girl with Mrs. Boggs, I don't know if it... There, there's a picture in the in the
1: Anchorage Papers of, of you know, Lindy Boggs and Peggy and the kids, you know, during the search thing, and, and Cokie Roberts was there, and she looked, month um, 47, she looked about, you know, you know, she looked like, in those days, like in her 20s, you know, sort of a 20s. Well, that's right. what
0: Joel thought, too. There was another, there is another daughter. But she, Oh, there was another right, daughter. Died. She died of cancer. Right, and the, the son must be younger, too. Koki may have been the oldest
1: <coughs> child. oh yeah, Tommy Boggs is probably, oh, he's got to be. In is he's big time, he, Robbie. Oh, big, 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 big. big, big, big. Works like him. Oh, he's like he is he everything is. that you would I had dinner with him one night and uh, yeah. everything that you would bring that up that you, everything that you dislike about the present system. <clears throat> I mean I'm I've become I mean, far beyond the the Nick Beggage story, but I'm convinced that you can't do anything until you until you deal with campaign finance reform.
2: That's how that's what, you do that's what is financial. killing the Minnesota legislature and imagine <clears throat> when you get to Washington. Those lobbyists well, are, are dying now because they're going to try to say, re, uh, you know, about mm-hmm. financing. It's it's really, really sad. They got tickets in their pockets for every play. And there's some reason why our people switch. Now, I went on, never took those kind I of like deals. Some. Oh, sure. But, my God, uh, see, there are people that get elected. And then they, they feel that now, for some reason, they are right. smarter. No. They're smarter and than everyone else, and uh, they're they're a different class. Now. Yeah. And when they hobnob with the big time lobbyists, they really think they're getting way up in this world. And that's all they're doing is buying the votes. I sat my seniority in the last seat by the aisle in the in the uh, in the house, so I could watch the show. Uh, the lobbyists go to a little room on the side and hand a slip and then you go out, uh, legislators, the page comes up and gives you a slip and they go out. Well, I would stand and watch exactly what we were discussing and watch the insurance company or the banks and the insurance company taking out people. Then I would step out the door, which was right behind me, you know, the big right. big doors for the chamber, and I'd stand out there and watch to make sure, in my mind, what lobbyist it was. And I'd come back and then I'd go up and talk to the speaker and i says. I don't know, we should vote on this, sir, because we lost this vote, this vote, this vote, and that was, uh, it was a shame. Starving and those guys are uh, Democrats. I'm talking, Republican votes, we knew exactly. When the issue was up, lose it. But uh, these were the Democrats. And then uh, that night, you would see all these uh, Democrats going with the, uh, with the lobbyists.
0: Well, why do people change and are so impressed with money after they get there?
2: Well, I think well, I, mean, what I had lobbyists, but they were the labor people. Yeah, once in a while they'd bring a pizza and beer in my office. Yeah, that was the big time. You remember when? Yeah. And then they bought one of those coolers, big, that junk ones.
0: Styrofoam, styrofoam,
2: and uh, so we had ice for to keep the beer cold.
0: Yeah.
2: And uh, they'd get pizzas, and uh, one time we had hamburger. I mean, that was the kind of people we worked with. It
0: was, and you worked in your office. In my
2: office, yeah. yeah. Well, I
1: don't know. I've, I've never stood for public office, but but having hung around all these years now with with, uh, people that have, it seems to me that the first problem is that uh, there are some exceptions to the rule, but generally speaking, both at least in the Alaska legislature and my experience in Congress, is that the first order of business for everyone who has an election certificate is to continue to have an election certificate. You're right. And and that's where it all goes haywire. Yeah. But
0: do you think term limits are going to solve that? No, I
1: don't. No, I, I think term limits are, are a sort of socially neurotic response to the campaign finance yeah, problem. Exactly. And, and that exactly. If, if, if a re election was an authentic, if an election was an authentic referendum on an incumbent performance, I mean, if it was a square deal, mm-hmm. then it wouldn't make any difference how long a guy served. If, if, if right. a guy came back every two years or every six years and he truly had to stand on what it is that I've done... That would be if, fair. And Right, and that if the majority of his electorate didn't like it and he was gone, then if, the majority, if he authentically reflected his people's thinking, or at least the majority, if he stayed there for 35 gazillion years, that's what that's what representative democracy is all about. But if everybody knows that the fix is in, that once you're an incumbent, because of the money, that it's not a square deal. If you won't deal with the money, then the only th- thing left for people that aren't very sophisticated about the real problem in the system is this limit stuff, which I think is very mischievous. I, I think it's terrible.
2: Uh, well, uh, I won 13 two-year elections, <clears throat> consecutive, and there's two things. One... Don't forget where you came from, and two, a- answer your constituents. I used to go on a radio on a regular basis. Uh, I wasn't afraid, I tell you no, and I tell you yes, uh, I was very, uh, what, and when uh, a constituent writes a letter, don't take it and send it up to constituent service where you've got a well-educated young girl or young boy writing uh, answers. So when you get the letter, Uh, What did he say? He didn't say yes, he didn't say no, but he's going to look at it. I wrote two paragraphs. Thank you for writing and your concerns of uh, uh, House File so-and-so. I disagree with you. Uh, I'm sorry to inform you. I disagree with you. I'm voting no. Unless there's some major compelling reason for me to change my mind. Thank you for your concerns. Boom. That was it. But I answered everyone. And when I came home, people, look at now, I'm embarrassed by people coming, oh, you should run, uh, we're so sorry to lose you. I really feel, you know, uh, like if I'm hiring people to say that. Uh, <laughs> you know, I, I went on the radio The people are calling, geez, we miss you and all, you know, you've got to do your work. And now I had contact with the biggest lobbyist, at Chamber of Commerce, workers' compensation, you know, they, that was an unemployment compensation. They bought the votes, they literally bought the Democrats right from under our feet, nothing we could do about it. That's why money has to change. But what does it cost to, to, run, a, to run, run a race? We ran about 20,000. 18 to 20,000. We ran a race. 15, 17 like well, And sweet. even when we didn't have 400.